welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning to this special episode. Principle of Hospitality has been developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight talking, ethically minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now, with today's show, we have a special, special podcast. If you know, this is releasing on a Monday, which is different from our normal schedule, and it's because we're here with our friends at Worksmith to talk about their latest event, all about design, and here to talk me through what we can expect for the next hour or so is Tim Varney, the Creative Director here at Worksmith. Hey, Tim, how are you? Hello, Sean. I'm well, thank you. It's good to have you. Good to have you back, even though for a short time. Um, let's let's talk you through what happened to this particular event. Uh, it looks like it was exceptional. Mm. What can people expect for the next hour or so? Yeah, so the event was called How Authentic Is Your Venue's Design and Experience? And I think what we were aiming to do here was to touch on uh, the process of um, maybe setting up a new new venue or assessing how your experience uh, at a current setup venue is 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 tracking along uh, and so we had a really good panel of um, everything from designers to creative officers to um, associate directors of interior design studios to to chat with us um, and really uncover um, what makes people tick in that space when they're yeah setting up a venue yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, it was great to listen to. So I know that everyone's really going to enjoy this special podcast episode. Tim, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Oh, all right. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Thanks for having a seat. Just before we get started, I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting today, the three uh, people of the Kulin Nation, and uh, pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Yeah, we're gathered here tonight to talk about authentic venue design, which is a really big topic. It's actually quite a complex thing that we were all chatting a bit before before we started tonight. And we've got three really unique lenses, I think, to come at this conversation from. So let me introduce the panel to you. On the end there is Emily Addison, Senior Associate at Studio Tate and Director of the Play depart- Department. Yeah, yeah, Director of Play. That's always, <laughs> that sounds very fun. Yeah, Yeah, but interior architecture across a a lot of hospitality and and commercial projects, yeah. In the middle is Simon Blatcher, a creative director of Commune, Hanoi Hana and Tokyo Tina, and you have a new venue opening soon as well, and Felicity Rogers, the creative chief officer, am I getting that right? Chief creative officer, I turned it around a little bit, of, of Cargo Crew, yeah. Okay. And to introduce myself, I'm Nick. I work in strategy and research department in, in Right Angle Studios. And this is my first hosting an event, first time hosting an event at Worksmith. So I want to say thanks to the Worksmith team for having, having me here to, to MC tonight. And thanks to the panelists for coming. So we might just go ahead and jump into it. It's a really interesting brief, I feel like, that Worksmith's put together for this conversation. Like, how authentic is your venue design? And how authentic is that experience? And I feel like the first thing we maybe need to do is 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 maybe define that. I'm, I'm kind of curious about all of your, your takes, I think, from, from where you come from in terms of uniforms, in terms of venue, creating venues, in terms of venue design. Like, what is authentic design to you? What does that mean? Anybody want to start? Yeah. Felicity? 
yeah, well, I guess as a creative person myself and thinking about authentic design, I think for me it definitely comes from a place of, of care and passion. So I think whatever you do in the creative space or whatever kind of area of design that you work in, if you're really passionate and you really care about what you're creating, then to me that is just going to transform and transpire into authenticity. But then I think the underlying part of that and having that care and that passion is also just about doing things your way, even if you're influenced by other people, you're influenced by other businesses or venues. It's like to have an authentic take on something comes back to care and passion and your take. So I think if you do that well, then I think that is really the most powerful, you know, kind of combination of what can deliver great results. Yeah, okay. All right, great. Yeah, I think authenticity comes over time. Mm. I think venues tend to, the good ones around town or the ones that, you know, I really respect or a couple of hours that I've been heavily involved in have kind of grown and become authentic as the venues have matured. And I think that's important. I think creating authenticity off the bat is very, very hard and often is, feels a little bit forced. Mm-hmm. And I think the best venues, the ones that kind of stay, you know, stay around for, become institutions, the ones that, you know, have kind of, grown with the town, with the environment, with the industry. And I reckon they're the ones that, you know, I keep going back to, whether they're mine or a million others around town. They're the ones that, you know, I think will stick around forever. So authenticity is great, but it can't be forced. Yeah, that's interesting. So you kind of need the time to find the sort of care and passion inside that. It isn't just a sort of just add water option. So how how do you, I'm just interested, how do you approach that then, Emily? Sort of where you... yeah you're trying to build before that time can start yeah we don't always you know have the benefit of that time and it's it's a really interesting question in context of of fit out Mm -hmm. um i think i think to inject authenticity into a space you need to have at the crux of it a story or an identity or an idea that underpins the overall underpins the look and feel of the space, the people, the service, the product. I think without that, it's a bit of a disparate, ill-considered approach. And I'm not by any means referring to a theme, quite quite the opposite, but really getting the sense that this venue, these people, they know who they are, they know what they are, what they're doing. And from a design point of view, most importantly, they know where they are and the context that they're in. Interesting. Okay. I think that's interesting. You touched on on the kind of theme element and I I, want to explore that a a little bit because I I feel like there is this sort of line of authenticity where it's feeling quite authentic, it's feeling quite authentic and then it's like, oh, shit, am I in Disneyland? Like what's that sort of theme theme park moment? I guess, how do you, how do you guys, I, I guess, approach that? Simon, we had chatted a bit earlier, I think about especially working with a restaurant with a specific kind of cuisine and you were talking about sort of pulling that cuisine identity out of it in some sense. I think Melbourne being Melbourne, mm. very multicultural, very unique in its own way. <clears throat> I like walking into venues where you don't necessarily walk in and go, I know this is a Chinese restaurant. I know this is an Italian restaurant. You walk in and you say, this is a beautiful space that happened to be serving this type of cuisine. So I think then the authenticity builds over time because that space becomes associated with that style of cuisine and all of a sudden you've created your own little pocket, Mm. which is quite cool. And I think that's where Melbourne can really 
not be Disneyland. You know, you mentioned it earlier. There's a few places that you go around the, around the country and the design to within an inch of its life and you walk in and you go, all right, I know what this is. I know what to expect. I know what, what, what I'm going to eat before I've even walked in the door. I've looked on Instagram and it's done. And I think that's exciting to be able to create a space where any cuisine can kind of fit in. You might walk in and it just you can smell the food and you're like, this is just great. I don't care what they're feeding me. It just feels right. Mm. And I think that's exciting. I think that's probably difficult for you to design to that yeah. point. Well, I was just about to say I think part of good design is knowing when to ramp it up mm. and throw a lot at it, but equally knowing when to, to pull, back. pull back. Yeah. And, l- and let the operators kind of bring that next step in and, and f- basically finish the job. Yeah. And places always evolve over time. The staff move differently. The, the, the industry changes. The demands of, of the industry changes. So I think that's uh, those in- Melbourne institutions, the one have been able to kind of grow with, with the industry. And I think they're the ones that will stay, stay around forever. Can I just also add that I feel like sometimes there is also a place for the Disneyland and that excitement in the sense of like just recently we were on a trip and, you know, there's certain, I suppose, nationalities that do it well and actually do it with authenticity that you get this incredible, memorable moment and experience that's extra and layered but everybody that's part of it feels like it's genuine. You know, they know how to wear the bright coloured floral jackets and they know how to deliver the over the top cocktails with like crazy stuff coming out. So yeah, I think again, if it can be done right, but it's hard to execute, I think, so that it feels authentic. And I think there'll always be a spot for that kind of experiential dining. Definitely. I think for us and Commune, we, most of our restaurants are based in Asian dining. I'm not Asian in case you guys didn't realise, but you know, I think Melbourne or Australia is to a certain extent, part of Asia. We've grown up eating a lot of that sort of food, but we're not bound by tradition. So just from our experience, we've been able to kind of like explore those flavours without being bound by tradition. That being said, you know, a place like Flower Drum, it's legit, it's old school, and it'll be great forever and ever and ever, and there's always going to be a place and time for those sort of restaurants, and I'll keep going back there forever if I can afford it. But, you know, I think we're Melbourne or the world we play in, I think allows us to kind of move in different directions, which is exciting. Yeah, but also your authenticity comes from the quality of what you're yeah. – do you know what I mean? And you yeah. know that the minute that you go to one yeah. of your venues. So. Yeah, yeah interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah, so I, – I, and I feel like we've talked a little bit about theme by by cuisine. I'm also interested to get your take, I guess, on theme by, by I don't know, quality. I'm not sure the right word, but I feel like I keep seeing such a sort of love of nostalgia or a kind of – Retrophilia. I don't know. Sometimes we make up words at right angle, and that's one of them. Retrophilia but, sounds a bit dirty, to be honest. right? Doesn't it? Yeah, uh, don't touch that. But you know, I feel like there is this sort of like strong push for nostalgia within venues and experiences. Like how 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 is that done authentically? How is that? When does that go wrong? Like, and maybe for you, Felicity, I guess when you have that kind of brief or that kind of theme or or, or element, like how do you align something? like the uniforms to, to that well i think when it comes to say a retro theme or something how does it how, how do i see it kind of you know come to fruition with success is again i feel like it's got to have its own soul in how it's delivered so even though there may be an influence of you know a retro you know theme or vibe it's still got to have that kind of a, a new soul brought to it and i think you know regardless of of how we dress the staff it's got to that's that recipe still got to be right for the uniform to then work so I think from our perspective like our job is more about trying to listen to a client's brief 
think about the visual language of what they're wanting to communicate but then also think about the practical sides of it as well around you know is that going to work for the climate and you know the look of the venue and then as Simon said as well growing into it how do you evolve the uniform if it's not right straight away or you know so I think for us it's about working with clients on you know the practical functional sides of a uniform as well as the look yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel like we haven't kind of touched on the relationship between the functional aspects of design and and the sort of more aesthetic ends. But are they kind of equally important to to you, Simon, I think from a operator perspective or, or is one more important than the other? Obviously, you want, you want staff to be comfortable. You want them to feel not just look comfortable but be comfortable because you know, that's going to make them more comfortable at work. They're going to be better employees, they're going to be happier, so so on and so forth. I think in our briefing meeting, I, I talked about Firebird when we first opened it and I wanted all the staff to wear overalls. And I was, you know, beating down the door, telling everyone, they're going to wear overalls, they're going to look amazing, it's going to fit with the whole warehouse feel. And then I can't remember what someone said, Simon, it's just not going to happen. Like, we just don't want to do it. So I retracted and I'm like, yep, you guys, you guys do you. And, mm. you know, to be honest, it's probably the right call. You know, you need everyone to, to look the part but also yeah. feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah, and there is that line, I guess, between trying to push an idea and understanding maybe when it's time to sort of back off on that. Is that something you well, run into? Certainly, from our point of view at Studio Tate, we the balance between function and aesthetic is is very important, particularly in in hospitality spaces. In many ways, you can't have one without the other. And I know we've talked about front of house versus back of house, and probably ramping up the aesthetics a bit. Front of house, back of house really largely based on function. But what I would say is that good design will improve a business. Mm. It should not be seen as a detractor or as a deficiency. A good design will improve the bottom line. And we've been lucky enough on a, on a few proje- projects where that has happened for us and we've had really good feedback from our client kind of in a post-occupancy conversation. And so you have to balance both. I think people, a lot of what draws guests to hospitality venues initially is the aesthetics. They might see it on Instagram, on broadsheet, you know, whatever it is, and they think, great, let's go there. But if it doesn't function well, they won't come back. So it's it's absolutely a balance. A thousand percent, particularly back of house, you know, <laughs> the less steps anybody has to take, the more efficient the kitchen's going to be, the more the better steps, less, more profitable essentially a business can be, less staff, it's all, you know, as you said. And also front of house as well, I think there's definitely a balance between organised chaos mm-hmm. and, and I think that's something that's particularly hard to design but it, it, when, it, when, it, when it works, it really works. Mm-hmm. You know, when, you, when there's someone who's always there, they don't have to move too far to, to grab something or whatever it be, that's not an accident. That happens through good design mm-hmm. and good experience. Yeah, we had a project, a day spa actually, where we just worked effortlessly, tirelessly on the floor plan in collaboration with the client and with the spa consultant. And through the briefing process, it became evident that there's a lot of downtime, there's a lot of inefficiency with therapists when they are moving around from the treatment room to all the support spaces, so to the storerooms, to the prep rooms, to the admin spaces, to the laundry. And they've just got to move a lot. So there's all this downtime within a treatment and then between treatments. And we were able to thrash out kind of the micro detail 
scale of that and design a floor plan where a lot of those inefficiencies were removed. And what it has meant is that over the five treatment rooms in a day, each one of them is able to squeeze in an additional appointment. So five treatment rooms, five extra appointments a day, 35 a week, over a month, over a year, that's a lot of additional revenue that the client just hadn't hadn't anticipated when they were doing their initial feasibility study. So if it's done well with the right team who all are like-minded and aiming for the same thing, you can you can achieve some great outcomes. Yeah, yeah that's a great point. I feel like it's easy to sort of think of design sometimes as this a sort of aesthetic identity mm-hmm. issue to solve, which is important and, and key for people to understand the, the 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 experience in the venue, but yeah, this functional X element really, and it's it, it maybe is particularly apropos or poignant in the time that we're about to go into, where interest rates are going to tighten and certain things hit the chopping block, right? Like how 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 does that work? I guess for 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 multiple venues and opening a new one, how do you sort of without beating down the door of the overalls? Let's say Simon, how do you sort of keep the design element front of house or do you keep that is that an important element when when other things become more yeah i think like we're we're at the kind of tail end of a new project that you know, we're opening up in two or three weeks time and i think the same philosophy has gone has gone through but also built on experience and a lot of mistakes we've made in the past as well in terms of functionality and and also making sure that uh, you know, we didn't we didn't run our race before we've even opened a door. And I think from an authenticity point of view and a design point of view and a brand point of view, I think that's something that interest rates aside or where the economy is at, I do think the cream will always rise to the top in that regard. I think in, inevitably people will keep going out seeking, you know, social connection and all those sort of things. So we've kind of gone this project, you know, with the same philosophy we always have is is is, is do it, do it right. Let it grow. Don't feel like the job's done before we've opened, and let that authenticity kind of grow with us as we get better at that venue. Mm. You know, I don't think anyone opens a venue and go, "We're we're, we're awesome at this from day one." I think that's just completely arrogant, and they're the ones that generally don't last. Mm. I think the ones that go, "You know, we're okay at this. There's a bit to learn, but people want to come, so let's let's keep working with them and listening to them and growing that." And I think out of that becomes, you know, your authentic voice. Felicity, I, I want to change gear a little bit. And I, I think talk about even before the venue's open and when you're working with someone, I'm interested in, in all three of your sort of takes on what a good brief is. Mm. I think fundamentally what you're looking for out of a client and what you're kind of listening for in the way that they're approaching their venue that's really going to give you the kind of room and the breadth to sort of really do what you do mm. so well. What are you looking for? Yeah, I think definitely a strong visual brief around like what's the visual language, as I said earlier, about what they're wanting to achieve, but also really understanding, yeah, the environmental factors. What does the, you know, what are the, what are the temperatures and the, you know, the environmental things that actually the people are going to be wearing the uniform that needs to be considered. Also, like, how's the uniform program going to be managed mm-hmm. uh, moving forward? I think, you know, at Cargo Crew, part of our offering is is that we wanted to bring to the market items that are available in stock. So, you know, when I first started the business, which is 21 years ago, everything used to be custom made to order. And we used to make everything here in Melbourne and it was, you know, minimum order quantities, take six weeks to make, really expensive to do small, to do small batches. And then the replenishment part was just so hard for the customer. Mm-hmm. So I guess, 
it's really understanding what does the customer want. If they want something completely bespoke, then of course we can do that and we can we can custom make and all of those things. But I think understanding at the start, people do tend to have bigger ideas at the start, but then you kind of want to ask the right questions around how is that going to be an ongoing good uniform solution for your business and how can things be replenished and is it going to be the right you know fabric if they in a really hot environment and because you want to be able to deliver something that has longevity so not only from a quality perspective but from you know a look perspective you don't want to just be dropping a, a look and then not be able to replenish in six months time or that's just a really expensive outcome for for everybody you know and we wouldn't work like that it's our reputation so yeah understanding the the moving parts uniforms can be quite logistically you know, one of, you'd probably agree, one of the more logistical parts of, you know, running running a business. So, but yeah, and even thinking about, I think even when you're talking about some of the economical kind of landscape at the moment, you can still do things well. So, and I think that's what people appreciate and and I think notice when they do go out. And even if it's from a uniform perspective, just a great quality apron, they're not just wearing a shabby apron. It doesn't have to be head to toe. But it can be done on with different layers and different different levels, and then I think for customers that really want to take you know up the ante from a customization perspective, there's other things you can be creative with, whether it's accessories or, you know, thinking about a menu or you know special edition, you know, limited drinks or menu that you do an accessory, whether it's you know a scarf or something that could complement that. So I think working with the right partners you know, and listening and understanding what the customer's looking for, how much they want to look different to everybody else and then supporting the functionality of that and, and delivering what you say you're going to is pretty much the key to servicing the hospitality industry from my perspective. Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about the, the sort of accessory end. So when you're designing the uniforms and working with the, with the client, are you sort of actively working with them to build this sort of layer of time or these layers that Simon's mentioning on onto, onto the uniform and the look? It depends on the customer. I think we have definitely a lot of private groups like Simon where they probably want to invest and come back and go, okay, we think we can do a bit more or this is not working versus say more corporate rollouts where they need to get it right from the start and once it's started you kind of can't change it so it really depends on the it really depends on on the customer and how much they're open to change and adaption which I think you know when you have that control creative control like Simon does you can do that so but yeah I think it really depends on on the customer yeah what's a good brief to you Emily yeah good question (laughs) The, it, look, it really varies from client to client and project to project and we've received, you know, numerous different styles of briefs. I think pretty well across the board, we never receive a brief 100%, everything's there and off we go. It's it's never quite as clear as that. One thing we do at Studio Tate is kind of um, have two sides to our briefing really. One is functional and one is aspirational. And I would say that most clients come to us generally with an idea of what they want, but we then go through a bit of a process collectively of teasing out a lot more information um, because there's obviously a whole lot of questions and queries we have that they won't have necessarily thought of. One client that we have, we're working with to refurbish a, a really cool kind of modernist motel in Mildura. And this particular client, they've never owned or operated a motel ever before. But they have a long association with Mildura and they bought this building mainly because they 
nostalgic about it and they didn't want it to be demolished and they kind of came to us and said, okay, help, what do we do? And we have experience on on hotels and motels. We're, we're not operators, clearly, but we went through a really rigorous process with them where we went to Mildura, we stayed in the motel, we went and had dinner at Stefano's <laughs> and we did a tour of all the local accommodation that's available there. So we did a competitor analysis. We did quite a broad precedent study to look at what else was happening in Australia and around the world. And we put this huge package of information together, including kind of key guest demographics, their desired experiences, all the different spaces that we might include, what would go into all those spaces, a lot of information we put into it. And then we actually said to them, don't come into our office for an hour and sit in the meeting room. Let's, we're going to take you out for the day, clear out a day. And we started off by going and doing a tour of a day spa. We had coffee at a great cafe. We went and had lunch at Middletown, which is a space that we designed a a while ago. We went and had a drink, went to a hotel. And we chose all these venues and planned the day because we thought, well, how do we present all this information and kind of get them excited and, you know, get them emotionally involved and and really turn it into something that's exciting. And so we had this whole day and at the end of the day, our client burst out crying. (laughs) And it was like, oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) So anyway, that was clearly, you know, quite an extreme briefing process. But point being is that, you know, it varies and inevitably we we kind of go on the journey with the client and it's an evolution. Yeah. 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 That's probably where you get the best outcome outcomes as well. It's like that that co- collaboration and I'm sure there's often a lot of times when clients don't even know exactly yeah. what they want. It is part of that creative process, working with great partners and collaborators. Someone said to me recently, you know, something about AI and just it was a comment around, well, I don't think they can get rid of a lot of designers until the client knows what they actually want. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's that process around the creative process, great creative people who – listen to the client and then you work together and you get great outcomes, you know. And, yeah. and often like as a operator, you, you want to surround yourself with people with a different perspective who are also creative. So they will actually f- end up filling the gaps in for you mm. and looking at things slightly differently. Like you, you come at it from, we want to run a beautiful restaurant, we want a great environment, et cetera, et cetera. But then having people who don't necessarily base themselves on hospitality, but the uh, hospitality adjacent type of thing, mm. or work in a different field and they kind of come in from a slightly different angle and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I, ne- I would never have thought of that, but it makes sense. Mm. And I think that's important. Yeah, and it's, you know, what you'll find is it's it's a bit of a live and organic process. It chops and changes and evolves and expands and contracts. And as all the consultant team come on board, in this particular project that I mentioned, the motel, we're up to 16 consultants now. So there's a lot of opinions, a lot of agendas. So you can imagine maintaining that original brief is, is tricky, but that that's that's the job these days yeah Yeah, and that's that's kind of a nice segue i think we've sort of talked about defining authentic authentic design and experience and it's a really interesting point to talk about i mean of course with experience it's good to experience a a place before you before you maybe maybe commit to something i think it's it's an easy thing to sort of look at pictures and renders and think through that without necessarily having any idea about how that feels it's also interesting on the motel end, they seem to lend themselves quite well to nostalgia. It seems to be across the board. But I guess after we've kind of defined and, and talked about developing this this idea a bit, 
I'm interested about the sort of changes and the kind of delivering of it. You know, you have this sort of idea and you've got this brief and you've got this thing working, working. What happens along the delivery end, I guess, from both of all three of your perspectives that that is important to look out for? When is it good to change your decision? When do you stick to your guns? That sort of thing. I'll go. I think I think you touched on it in the in the last week. I think having that that initial meeting where where you say this is what we want out of this space. You know that those base core values saying we want to create X, Y, and Z. We want to be this business and always use that as an anchor point to bring yourself back to because you can get lost. You can you can you can start here and end up who knows where because all of a sudden everyone's energised and there's lots of ideas being thrown around, lots of consultants coming in, lots of talented people with t- a lot of ideas. But having that initial really solid brief from the client and somebody who can bring you straight back to that yeah. and say, Simon, you, you're, in, you're going off the tangent, fine, come back to this. Because generally those, those that, that first idea, that first ideation is actually the right one. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of ways to get there, but it's making sure that you always come back to that, that, that one spot. Because sometimes there's... Too many ideas create muddy waters and mm. no one wants to go to a, a restaurant or a venue where there's too many ideas on a plate and everything's stuffed. But I think that's having someone who can bring you back to that original brief and the discipline is important. Yeah, so the way we kind of try to manage that at Studio Tate is obviously, as I said, we start with the briefing process. We then move to create a floor plan and we think that that's the first most important kind of design step, so to speak, because it's important that the project team have a visual to refer to. And you've done a big briefing process. You need to put that into something. Now, that is likely to push and pull and change, but you need that kind of base reference point to work from and ultimately to make sure that you're meeting all your functional and aspirational requirements. But once we have that, we then move into what we term the creative narrative, which is ultimately a story or a a concept or an idea that kind of articulates the essence of the design moving forward. So it's kind of that thing that you can keep coming back to through the process and saying, is this right? Does this fit with this narrative or not? And again, it's not a theme, but it's it's an idea that underpins the look and feel moving forward. And it's really important that we have that because especially in the hospitality world, there's, you know, so many ideas. How long's a piece of string? You need to bring it back to something. And I think if you can maintain that, when you come out the other end, you've got an idea that is considered, it's cohesive and, and ultimately, hopefully, has a, a feeling of being authentic. Yeah, it, that, that's a great point. I, I think we, we have a similar sort of process at, at Right Angle where we do a lot of place and, and retail visions. And I think it's definitely that anchor document or that anchor agreement that's important. And what's nice about it, too, when you do have a lot of stakeholders in a venue uh, or, or any development, really, you have enough stakeholders, you have this sort of objective objective bar to 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 kind of judge ideas or, or derivations against. Right. It's not someone's particular idea or not it's whether or not it fits with that with that plan that's that's an interesting way to to look at that and i think it's a really helpful from beginning I, to end I think, it's a dis- <laughs> I think it's a discipline as well like i think having the the strength to say hey guys we we've agreed to this we're brought on the right people let's go back to that that pillar because if you don't <clears throat> or if you if you become you know lost in in all these 
you know, barrage of ideas, a lot of things can happen. A, your product might be murky. Mm. B, it can get really bloody expensive because changes, variations, shifts from an architectural perspective, from a branding perspective, from a kitchen perspective, even if you change a menu item, the, the, the butterfly effect or the, the trickle effect of that could be could be massive. So being able to go, hang on, guys, this is what we wanted. Let's come back here because that will actually make everything a lot more linear mm. and hopefully, you know, make the product more authentic. And that can happen. You know, you can find kind of midway through the process you've you've lost track a little bit. But, uh, you know, it's really important that, that the designers and the consultant team you know, put their hand up and say, you know what, we're going to pull back a bit. Let's change direction. But yeah, if you have that narrative, you've got something to refer to. And then I think from, again, that operational perspective, the execution, 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 execution is what it all comes down to as well. Like, and then I think from a uniform perspective, I think about the businesses who are excited and have invested in a look and they want to support, you know, a new a new venture or a new business or a brand update thinking about how do they get the staff involved to help champion, you know, whether it's someone who helps influence the internal team around those things, which, you know, I think from even when I think about the investment in design and, you know, those moving parts and the, you know, those extra layers of things I think that come into some of the, you know, that narrative work when you're designing a venue to have those stakeholders and team members who understand, you know, that process of what you've been through and then whether it's uniforms or it's other items that they have the, I suppose, that kind of respect for that and share that, you know, with the broader team who haven't been involved, you know, and again, execution, the respect for that. Yeah, that's a good point. It isn't, it is, the design doesn't just sort of stop. I think that's the kind of idea about the time and the organic nature of that but it's it's kind of a conflicting idea right we're sort of saying we have this anchor to go to but we also have to allow for this organic growth around that right it takes sort of care and passion to do that I think we're back at that on some level yeah yeah I mean I think you know we can design and project and plan and coordinate and document and deliver and try to control it as much as we can but I think at the end of the day from our point of view, we might deliver 90, 95% of it, but there's always going to be that final 5 or 10% when you guys move in and, and kind of find your feet. And I think there is some level of organic growth that occurs. Just, you know, a space doesn't work without people. So, you know, we, we build the bones, but you guys put the flesh on it and there is some level of just just wait and see how the first 12 or 24 months go and maybe there is a little bit of pushing and pulling that needs to happen. And that's actually that last 5% is sometimes the best bit because yeah. you see it all come to fruition and you can look at renders forever and ever and ever and, you know, you're in the space and it feels slightly different or it feels what, however, whether better, better, worse or for whatever. But the last moment where you go, you go, okay, I can add a layer here or a light there or turn that down, that's, that's the best bit. And that's when the operator comes in and puts their stamp on it. Hand over from the architect, hand over from designer, hand over from branding and say, this is my venue now. This is how I want it to look and feel. Mm-hmm. And that's authentic. That's the operator saying, I'm going to put my stamp of authenticity on this, mm. whether it be a piece of art or whatever it be. Mm. That's, for me, that's the most exciting, sometimes most exciting part of the process is getting the keys and, yeah, yeah. and you know, making it our own. It's also my most exciting part <laughs> when I can give you the keys. <laughs> That makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's great. How are we doing on on time, Tam? I don't have a launch on you. Five, ten. Okay, great. Five and ten is 15. Okay, great. I guess I also wanted to talk a little bit about 
I think I, in relation to this, this kind of last 5%, like what's the sort of danger about over designing? And I think we were talking about that before a little bit in terms of a new site build versus something that was already existing earlier, Simon, like what, what's going on when something feels a bit over designed? Like what's your, what's going through your head? What's the worry about that? How are you, do you put that last 5% on top of that? How do you avoid that from the beginning? I think when something is over-designed, I think it tends to date quickly, which is probably something you really want to avoid in hospitality because it's, it, it, you know, it's a very trend-driven business. And when something dates quickly, you're kind of, you're kind of dead in the water to a certain extent because you know, everyone's taste moves so quickly. So I think when something feels so complete and so finished, it's probably been designed for a certain moment in time, which I think is dangerous. There are other examples that would prove me completely wrong. If you look at what Maryvale do up in Sydney, they're amazing. They're the benchmark. They design places till they're, till they're, till they're choking and they work and are fully respected. <laughs> but I guess we've come up from a different perspective, from a different kind of place that we want, as I said, we want those places to kind of be designed and then grow in that last, that last iteration, that last 10% and grow over time, you know. The place, once, once the architect gives you the keys, it's not done. You know, keep adding, keep changing, keep tweaking. I think that's, that's fun. And I think that Maryvale example is a good one because it's, that's authentic to them mm. because, you know, that's, that, is, that is their design. If, you know, they, they live and breathe it. So it's and not hard for yeah. them. Yeah. I think also relevant to Sydney for Maryvale in a way, I think that that captures the market there. And I think, you know, over-design to some extent, I think can be a symptom of ignoring your location mm-hmm. and your sense of place. I think if you have a strong sense of where you are, you won't overdo it. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good point. It's, I think we say that a lot in, in, in terms of mixed-use developments or, or, or housing or, or even commercial projects where someone will come with a sort of global benchmark of someplace. They're like, oh, we really love this. But it's very difficult to take something out of Bangkok and then just sort of stick it into this part of Melbourne. It doesn't really work that way. And it's been so interesting listening to sort of how you talked about this, Simon. I think this is kind of like there's this sort of Melbourne-ness to the kind of organic growth that you're sort of talking about, I think. Yeah. Th- that is a Melbourne thing, yeah? Yeah, it feels like it. I think Melbourne's got its own nuances. Yeah. We've got strengths it's the weather's average so people don't necessarily be outside that much but we also, we've also got seasons yeah. Yeah. which i think is quite cool and i think that melbourne maybe isn't necessarily as driven by really complete venues and we've got a stronger base of hospitality mm-hmm. uh, so yeah i think it's an exciting place exciting city to work in yeah. and i do think in you know for us i can only speak from our experience is is is, is just growing into authenticity and over time is where we've kind of made our mark rather than doing it all at once. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's, it's also a lot to sort of conceptually think about and deliver all at once, right? It's quite a bit. Do you yeah. think there's also a correlation like between if you think about clothing brands that are really successful, say, for example, back in the day, Sassenbide and how amazing their handwriting was and their, you know, their strength of design. And then when the founders leave and they get bought out, by a big machine, they no matter how hard they try, they can't keep that signature, but they still try and keep that signature. They try and keep that signature design rather than potentially bringing in someone else who can put a new spin on it. Mm. And I feel like 
potentially it's the same thing when it comes to whether it's, you know, restaurant or venue that's maybe potentially had a really strong design sense and then there's a shift because the original person that drove that vision has moved or whatever. So then personally I think then that's the time to – that needs a a refresh. It needs a new vision. It needs a new person driving that. Yeah, It's hard I think to emulate and to keep something going. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a really good point because we're kind of coming back to maybe refreshing the cr- the creative narrative or and what do you keep out of that? So I'm I'm curious from if we, if we use that term creative narrative and and sense of place, I think those are both really interesting elements to build off of. H- how are you kind of defining that? All three of you, like how are you looking to the history of the place as you did in Mildura? Are you looking for the people? Also, you know, sometimes on our end in property, we're we're sort of constantly describing things that are like seven years away from existing. So it's like a lot further in the future. But some of the time frames for venues are a little shorter, right? It might be a year away or something. But how are you kind of looking for those cues and where are are you looking for them? Yeah, it's a good question and it varies with every client, with every project. I mean, we always try and come up with a narrative that is absolutely linked to the client or to the site or to the brief or to the project. We absolutely try and make sure it's not just a disparate thing that we've plucked out of nowhere, but there has to be a link. There has to be a story and a reason why we've selected it because we need the client and the consultant team to believe in it and buy into it. So it has to relate to what we're doing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, we've got a restaurant in, in Richmond, mm. which is it's a Vietnamese restaurant. It's a modern Vietnamese restaurant called New Quarter. And part of the reason we really wanted to go into that style of food, Vietnamese food, is basically linking it back to Richmond being a really a home for Vietnamese food in, in, in Melbourne. But definitely not try and do the traditional stuff. And I think just putting our spin on it. So for us, that narrative was Richmond being the home of Vietnamese food, but us being, you know, born and bred in Melbourne and being able to explore that through a different lens. So I, I think that narrative, you know, every, every every space needs its own its own narrative and its own its own purpose. So I think, yeah, I think without that, you can kind of get a bit lost. Yeah, interesting. That's 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 uh, so finding the sort of the 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 relationship between the cuisine and and the location. That's that's great. And also, I think not being bound by tradition, yeah, I think is what makes Melbourne kind of exciting as as well. We're so multicultural, and I think us being being able to explore different cuisines without necessarily having to use the same recipes, the same ingredients, yeah. that type of thing. I think that's kind of what makes Melbourne an authentic food city, is because we can amalgamate things together as long as they're not you know you're not putting spring rolls in hummus or anything like that i think if i think if you well you you can if if it's delicious but (laughs) i think that amalgamation yeah it's not fusion fusion's a bad word it's like putting bones together it's not supposed to happen but amalgamation of cuisines in the most i think that's what makes melbourne authentic i think it's cool yeah it's interesting and i think you know when we're authentic is such a a loaded word in a lot of ways because the opposite of authentic is what like inauthentic or 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 copied or or derivative in some way right and i think what you're what you're saying is really interesting because it isn't that the modern take is derivative it's that it's it's using this foundation to do something new on top of that right or in conversation with that Fascinating. What do we have left? I think I kind of want to end. We got some questions coming, but I kind of want to wrap up with sort of a kind of, I don't know, I've written down top tips. That sounds like a terrible thing to say, but I'm interested in the kind of takeaway from what we're talking about in terms of 
design, like what wh- from this audience here, I guess, from a design perspective, like what, what do you, what do you want from a design perspective? What do you want out of owner operators from an owner operator? What do you want out of designers? Like what are the kind of key takeaways you think in terms of, of fine, of finding this narrative or working with someone collaboratively on something on the uniform end, like what are the kind of key key takeaways that to, to sort of build the the right beginning for for an authentic design process? Look, I think exactly as you've just said, I think it's spending the time to make sure you you have a sense of of who you want to be or what you want this new venture to be and to be able to define that and be confident in that so that it is evident in the design, in the operations, in the food, the whole thing. Just be clear about – and look, it might might chop and change as as we move through the process. But I think, again, if you've got that base kind of story to come back to – you will be able to move through the process. My other key takeaway is listen to your consultants. <laughs> you have hired them for a reason. That's why you're paying usually, right? And pay them on time. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I agree with everything you said, by the way. I think the one thing, using different designers and architects over the, over the journey, I think the one takeaway that we'd probably like to see more of, most, most of them, they're pretty open, but sometimes you get people who want to design for right here, right now. Or for <coughs> sometimes for what feels like their own portfolio, mm-hmm. but you can pick them out pretty quickly, and, and, and generally you don't necessarily work. You, you, you know, you settle a relationship and whatnot. But I think that's something that if I was, if I don't work in your field, and mm-hmm. definitely not smart enough to, but that's something that I think people need to be, you know, designers need to make sure that they're definitely designing for the client and for their client's business for the next decade. Mm-hmm. I think it's important not to be too trend driven and too to focus on what's happening right now. Yeah. I mean, I would 100% agree with that. And I think if that's the approach, it it won't be an authentic outcome. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, and I guess from our perspective, uniform-wise, making sure that we're working with the same like-minded kind of clients, mm-hmm. you know, because there's always obviously different clients who, particularly when it comes to uniform, someone wants to pay like $10 for a T-shirt or, you know, they want to deck out a whole head to toe. But also, yeah, I think just that like-mindedness, people that you're working with, like you said, Emily, as well, listen to the consultants, but also from our perspective, like it's different because we, we're actually supplying a product. So we need to be, you know, adding value. So and I think that's kind of what we focus on around wanting to do quality product at an affordable price, a commercial price. And we sit within that middle market, but again, trying to kind of address those pain points you know, the cost of running business and the uniforms and, you know, really focusing on quality and having that, you know, stock available on hand with ease. Yeah, for me, if you have the right clients who appreciate that and you have values aligned, then you're going to do great work together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we have a lot of long-term clients, like long, long-term, 10 plus years for that reason. So so that's, I think, authentic relationships are just as important as authentic design because you get great outcomes when you have great, you know, great clients and great teams. Yeah, that's a really good point, I think. Like, we always talk about design and experience like a kind of product, right? But it's not just a product. It is about this culmination of relationship. That's really interesting. Should we open to questions? I'm getting the move it along from Tim. That's good. (laughs) Questions from anyone? About venue design or? Yes.
can yeah. I, sorry, can I just repeat your question so everyone can hear in the back? Sorry. It's the question was just about kind of the timeline and the process from inception, sort of thinking of an idea. Am I saying that right? And then to kind of delivering it and what those steps are like and what that time frame and experience is like. Am I doing that? Okay, great. Yay. It's definitely different for every project. We've had some that have taken four years. We've had some that have taken a year. I think anything less than potentially 12 months, if you've already found the site, and it's already, it depends on the site as well, you know, if it's an empty shell or whether it's an existing restaurant, it, it, there's a whole lot of variables. But for us, I think that 12 month kind of pocket is good. You know, you can design it well, you can brand it well, and you can build it well. But, you know, buildings, 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 you know, it could take however long a piece of string. But we've definitely had a whole range of projects, but I think 12 months as a base would probably be a good place to start. Question here? Yeah. When you said that moment at the end with the person that started crying, <laughs> how do you keep up that momentum throughout the entire process? Because obviously it's two years, four years. How do you go back to that moment and keep your whole team? Yeah, it's currently yeah. two and a half years and counting. Oh, okay, there you go. Well, you, you don't is the short answer. Over that extended period of time, there are, you know, ups and downs, highs and lows. But, you know, I think it's just... <laughs> communication, staying really engaged with the client over a big project like that that does go for many years and probably will go for up to four years by the time it's built. Um, you just want to try and stay engaged because in four years a lot happens, a lot comes and goes for us as well as the client. Yeah, you just have to stay engaged as much as you can. Hopefully they pay you <laughs> to stay engaged and and just keep communicating. It, it's hard and it, you won't have those moments all the time, but hopefully it happens at the end. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's also really important to know that your clients are so fucking invested, excuse me, are so invested in the project, you know, that you know, part of the reason they burst into tears because it's their life. You know, it is literally, they could have everything on a line. They could, it doesn't, but they've invested so much of their emotional energy into it too that, you know, that part of the reason they probably broke down in tears because they were so excited, happy, and it's, they're so invested that that's what they're kind of hedging the rest of their next 10 years on. So I think that's from a client, from a client perspective, that's probably, you know, it's a big thing, you know, it's, 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 it's what we live and breathe and it's what we've kind yeah, of. Yeah, it's, it's a really good takeaway. I think the sort of empathy around that people's situations, I mean, really married to the business, right? So it's an important part to understand. Yes. Maybe it's threefold, actually. As venues kind of continue on and they're doing their thing and doing well, there's lots of times where they do change, which, which happens to a lot of venues that we know. And from a designer's perspective on both ends, I'm just really kind of keen to hear what that feedback is like from clients over time. Like, do you have to, do you have to go back as an operator? Do you have to go back and talk about what do you need to go back? Like, are you receiving feedback Mm. from the operational managers, whoever it might be, do you have to go back to refresh the drawing board? Has that happened to any and all of you? And, and what's that kind of look like? I've experienced it and I'm just curious to see what it's... Yeah, once a client has kind of moved in and started operating, we try and stay somewhat kind of on the sidelines just to, you know, check in and see if things okay and, you know, is there anything else we can do? And a bit of a post-occupancy kind of conversation, maybe 12 months after the fact, just to say, well, 
did we stuff anything up? Are you okay? You know, and hopefully that's all good. But we are there if we need to make a few tweaks. And we certainly have had clients come back kind of five, ten years down the track and say, we've changed and we need to, you know, can you help us modify? And that's a very real thing. Yeah, and it's just dependent upon the client and, and kind of how they're expanding or contracting, particularly in the commercial world with the state of offices at the moment. You know, there's a fair bit of that happening. I think from a restaurant perspective, brands have a lifespan to a certain extent. So I think it's important that they do refresh when they feel like they're running out of steam, not necessarily change or shift the focus or change the product, but definitely update. And we've done that over time. We've had brands that, you know, eight years and, you know, after six years, we're like, all right, well, collateral needs to refresh or the space needs a tweak or little nuances, whether it be, you know, whatever, nothing majorly structural, but that's definitely something that we've, we're conscious of and I think the smart, the smart ones constantly keep an eye on it. It's a, it's a really interesting point I think you made as well, Matt. Most of our conversation has been about like before the venue opens and then once it opens, but if it's going to iterate over time, how much are you listening to your staff? How important is that conversation with them about what's working or not working? Like, wh- How do you approach that? Yeah, definitely. Like, you, you know, they're, they're eyes on the ground. They're the ones who are living it and they're the ones who are presenting the product that, you know, you want presented. So if, they're, if they've got pinch points, if they've got feedback, particularly from the senior staff, you, you, need, you, need, to, you need to listen. If, if you don't, A, you're probably going to lose good people, which is an, a separate conversation. But B, you've probably got some fundamental glitches in the system that, that need fixing and uh, yeah, you need to be an open book. Any more questions? Was that one in the back? Sorry? No. Okay. We might wrap it up. What do we do now, Tim? Drink more? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, good. That's what I thought we would do. (laughs) Food from Zach. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, send food from Zach. It looks delicious. I haven't eaten yet because I was nervous. But I'm going to eat now. (laughs) I'm not nervous anymore. It's over. It's over. No, it looks delicious. So definitely eat up and and drink up. And thanks so much for coming out on Tuesday night. Really great to see everyone. Thanks so much for tuning to that episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you enjoyed that special podcast with the Worksmith event. We've got a couple more to go this year, so be on the lookout for when the next one comes up. Until our next regular episode on Thursday, stay well, everyone. <laughs>